the Ghost Goal Podcast. The managerial merry-go-round is in full swing as we round into November in the Premier League. The last international break means the axe has fully swung on managers like Dean Smith, Daniel Farca, and plenty more in the Premier League that we've already mentioned. I'm Alex, here with Javier. Welcome to episode 329 of the Ghost Goal Podcast. There's plenty of those managerial sackings to get to first, as well as a Manchester derby that was uh, very very much uh, one-way traffic. Chelsea dropping points at home uh, to a disappointing Burnley team for, uh, for the. F- it's not as easy as you think, Alex. See, even even Burnley can can get a point at, uh, at Stamford Bridge. I, I guess not. And uh, West Ham getting a big win over Liverpool. We're going to hit on all those games, but there's just been too much managerial merry-go-round action uh, for us to not mention it. Uh, Javier, I already introduced you, right? No, no, no. Did, it's did all I drop right, your Alex. name yet? No, it's okay. I had to, I, I inserted myself in there. Yeah. I can always rely on you for that. Yeah, <laughs> let's uh, let's start off with it. this. The, the the freshest news, I would say, uh, not in terms of the, the the sacking itself, but the impending appointment is uh, at Aston Villa after a one nil loss at Southampton, which was their their fifth loss in a row in the in the Premier League this the, season. The whispers became uh, Dean Smith became was sacked. louder and louder, and yeah. then uh, suddenly they were yelling. And, and it looks like uh, Steven Gerrard is, you know, he's about to take over at Aston Villa. I don't, yeah, I don't so, know how to feel about that one. Well, we'll, we'll talk about Gerrard in, in a second because, you know, it's there's, there's a lot up in the air in terms of like predicting the future with his time at Villa. But we can for sure talk about Dean Smith's uh, time at Aston Villa. Overall, pretty positive, getting them up to the Premier League and keeping them absolutely. Uh, I mean, in there, I think but, I think especially that season where they were struggling really bad, you thought they were going to get relegated, and they kind of had a little bit of a great escape there, um, where they had that. That one goal that they had, uh, they scored that ended up basically keeping them up. That wasn't a goal that, in the end, yeah, Villa that was bullshit though because that was the that was the their first game after uh, the, the stoppage due to COVID, and I think they had something like ten Premier League games left to to play out, and that was like the very first game. Like so, there were nine games after that that you know. You know, the, 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 that all meant the same as that very first one, but because it was the first game back uh, after you know lockdown of sorts, people remember it more. Like I, I think they were eight points off of safety with uh, like four games to go in that season, the, uh, the the COVID season, and they managed to pull it off. So yeah, it was amazing that he pulled that off. They had a very good season last year, despite you know, not performing so well when when Grealish yeah, was out. Like that win kicked off their run. You know what I mean? It, it let them basically escape. But yeah, I think for Dean Smith, that season staying up and then leading them last year to, to almost, you know, pushing for Europa, getting a bunch of great signings after losing Jack Grealish, you know, players like Emmy Buendia, like Leon Bailey, you know, bringing up players like getting Ollie Watkins last season. All of these players are going to make Villa a strong side, you know, Martinez as well in the coming seasons. And the next manager that comes in is is coming in with to a very good side. So I think Dean Smith has massively improved this Villa team and he'll be looked at very, very fondly, I think, by Villa fans. As, you say that, but then again, something has clearly gone wrong here. Yeah. They've just they've suffered their fifth straight loss in the Premier League. Yeah, a lot of those were like difficult. I just think losses. he's taken them as far as he can. 
and he knows that as well. I yeah, think. Yeah, but that's 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 so that's so general. I don't know. I'm just I, I'm thinking why has Tyron Mings dropped off the face of a cliff in terms of his his form this season? He's nowhere close to the player that he's been for basically the last two seasons. They they shifted to that five at the back that looked so promising in in the early stages. They were pretty good defensively. They were able to dominate midfield a lot of the time and. I basically point my finger to the effects of COVID on the international break, specifically with those South American players, because there were pivotal games there early in the season when they really needed players to, you know, stick around and basically figure out how they're going to approach games without Jack Grealish, the player who defined so much of their attacking play for the past six years, that to lose players like Emi Buendia, who was looked at as the sort of direct replacement for Grealish in terms of his, you know, creative ability. Emmy Martinez, their goalkeeper. Uh, and then, the, you know, the Leon Bailey injuries haven't helped at all. So he hasn't been able to, you know, settle down like a, like a set 11, which, you know, you, you know, it's always hard to do that in the first place. But the effects that, you know, having to lose some of those players to the international teams and some, you know, very timely injuries or untimely injuries, I guess, I think that's ultimately what's shot Dean Smith in the foot. And that, that's just the manager game. Sometimes you're just unlucky like that. And, you know, the questions that get, get presented to you, uh, regardless of how difficult or not, or not they are, it's, it's up to you to figure out a way to still get some form of results, any form of results that isn't five straight losses. So I, I feel a little bad for him, but with the sort of intentions that Villa have, have displayed, especially their ownership with... Their, with their pocketbooks going out and signing these players and directly with, you know, social media posts like their owner had after Grealish left, he laid out what their their plans were as a as a club. And they have big expectations of playing in Europe and eventually challenging for the title. People just don't, I guess, take them as seriously because it's not Saudi Arabia you know, making that statement. So Steven Gerrard coming in is a... It's a very volatile move, I'll say. I'm not the biggest fan of it, but... I can see why they're doing it. I don't know what it. to think about that. We haven't confirmed it 100%, but I, I I think it could be a wild card, you know, much like Frank Lampard was for Chelsea. And he could have some success, ups and downs. He'll probably learn a lot at the job. So it's his first big job. I mean, Celtic is a is a pretty big team, so it's not like it's... Jesus, man, you can't even get the club right. Rangers? He's at Rangers. Rangers. The ultimate sin, dude. You can't... <laughs> It's like Rangers. someone saying, "Yes, that's what like, I it's said." It's like someone saying, "You know, Wenger. You know, when he was at Tottenham, uh, <laughs> you would just be, you would just be like, what the fuck? What are you talking about?'" Yeah, yeah, it is. It is the ultimate sin. You're right. You're right. But yeah, no, Rangers are a big club, so he, it's not he like, kept uh, Celtic from good. winning ten straight league titles with that that league win for Rangers last year, and you can't deny he's he's made them a much better team. They they've done a lot better in European competition, you know, relative to. The previous decade since Gerrard's come in, which if that's where Villa want to go, then it's good to have someone with at least a little bit of Europa League experience like Gerrard has now. So I, I see why they're making the move and I can see how bringing in someone like Gerrard would sort of demand respect and attention from those players. A lot of players, you know, like Leon Bailey, he's been hyped up ever since he was like a 16 year old kid playing at Genk, I think it was in... Uh, in, in Belgium, he's been extremely hyped. So 
those kinds of players, it, it might be pretty good for them to have someone walk in who has done everything that they aspire to do in their playing careers and has had a little bit of managerial success sprinkled in early on too. And he can relate to them a bit more. I can understand why they would be interested in someone like Steven Gerrard, but it's it's just it's it's such a risky signing. You know, Dean Smith at least had managerial experience to his name. You know, maybe maybe at lower levels, uh, but he'd been a manager at Brentford and done well before that. Gerrard, it's the the two years, two and a half years now at Rangers, and now he's going straight up to the Premier League. So. You better hope he's ready or else they're going to be firing him pretty quickly. Well, there's 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 pressure right now because Newcastle picked up, you know, a draw this last weekend. Norwich got their first win. Burnley got a draw for, against Chelsea and, you know, Villa are only two points off the drop. So obviously I, we, me, neither me or you think that Villa are going to get relegated this season. But right now they're they're dancing with a, a fight with a lot of teams that they don't want to be slugging with. So. This, this is, like you said, a risky move, and, and we'll see how it turns out for him. Well, you mentioned that uh, Daniel Farka sacking. There's still no you know, set name for, for that job. I've heard Lampard's name thrown around for it, but nothing concrete yet. But you and I were uh, together on Saturday. Uh, when those that 10 a.m. slate of games uh, finished, I guess we were in the, in the car together, and I just when I told you that Daniel Farka had been fired after getting his first win in 21 it's Premier League games. It's pretty bewildering, isn't it? We just both burst out into laughter. We were just like, what, what is going on? What a shit show at Norwich, yeah. What is going on but, at Norwich but again, right I, now? I think it, it, it lends to what uh, you, you've said plenty of times before, that this specific international break, the early November international break, it's the last one of 2021. We won't have another one until March of next year. This is a very popular time to sack your manager and bring someone else in. We're just around the corner from the Christmas slash New Year's fixtures, which... Obviously, the the uh, frequency of games picks up a bit more around that time of year. The frequency of Premier League games specifically picks up. So it's good to get your manager in during, especially during a break, a two week break, where he can work with the players that are in uh, are in the camp and uh, get them acclimatized to his style of play, and then work with them on that style of play for the next you know month or so before the uh, the Christmas period that kicks in. Because then you better have. A pretty good idea of what your best lineup is as a manager. So I am surprised Norwich still don't have anyone in because if they knew far they were going to fire Farka regardless of this result, you'd think they'd maybe th- yeah, be a bit further along by now. Yeah, you would have thought they had someone lined up, but yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that this international break they announced someone. So maybe they're just fixing the final kinks in that. But I'm just saying, if they knew they were going to fire him on Saturday, regardless of whether they beat Brentford or not. It should have been like first thing Monday morning. We have Frank Lampard ready to work with the players this full week of anyone who's, you know, not off with their national team. But Norwich seemed to be doing very little correctly uh, in the Premier League recently. So we'll leave that there. And other news, the, the last sort of managerial focus news is Eddie Howe ended up getting appointed as the head coach at Newcastle. He was in attendance for their 1-1 draw with Brighton on Saturday. Are we positive he is the man uh, not only to keep them up this season because I, I think that has to be the the immediate question obviously the most urgent question but is he the man to sort of initiate this Newcastle uh, rise I kind of think so but I, 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 I would I would say this yes season to both is pivotal yes I would say but yes to both of those I think he's a good enough manager that he can keep up this Newcastle team especially you know with his connection with 
Callum Wilson um, and, you know, how he can maybe get getting a team that needs already has a lot of goals in it. They've been scoring goals this season, you know, getting that team to stay up and then getting rid of a lot of the dead weight. You know, he was never given a, 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 a huge amount of funds at Bournemouth. So I'd be curious to see what type of players he, he goes and signs when, when given, you know, 200 million. Um, and I'm sure it won't necessarily be him making those decisions. I'm sure there'll be like the director of football. And, you know, usually when there's, you know, hundreds of millions being moved around, it's usually not just the head coach that makes those decisions. But again, in terms of coaching the team and getting the best out of the players there, I think this is this is a, a good good move for Newcastle. And I mean, if if one before Arteta had been announced, if we had announced Eddie Howe, I wouldn't have been furious or thought like, oh, "Shut the fuck up!" I sent you Eddie Howe like as a as a joke, and you would rage out at me like, "How dare you!" <laughs> no, I mean, I, I would have I wouldn't have been happy, but I I wouldn't have been like it would have been a gamble, and it and it that was also before Bournemouth work. got got uh, exactly. Relegated. That was when Bournemouth were still pretty decent. That was a few a couple of years ago. So a part of me thinks that Newcastle went and actually locked down Eddie Eddie Howe in reaction to this news of you know teams like Villa and Norwich sacking their managers because I, I don't know if Howe would have been considered for the Villa job. I think he would have been a good fit there as well. But the Norwich job that has that would have had Eddie Howe written all over it because I think his biggest job not just you know obviously the big picture of keeping them out of uh, the championship but he's got to go in there and on like a very grassroots level improve each of those players individually kind of like he did at Bournemouth because you know before Bournemouth rose up through the leagues Charlie Daniel wasn't a good player Steve Cook the center back at Bournemouth wasn't a good player like these players he brought them through the leagues and made them into Premier League players. And they weren't, you know, elite level Premier League players, but they stayed in the league for a good five years when people would have expected them to be relegated way earlier. This Newcastle team, they have underachieving players. I think they have players that have a bit more talent and can achieve more than they have the last few years. They just have never had the sort of steady, uh, you know, 1v1 coaching from their their manager. That they'll get from Eddie Howe. And and with the focus on a more attacking open style, it's going to be rough, I think, for the first like couple of months and may still result in their relegation because the way Howe likes to play is pretty attacking and will leave them open at the back. But I think in the long run, if they can keep them up this year, it'll obviously set them up to go out and you know get better personnel and uh, and take the next step from there. So that's an interesting one from for sure. I'm very happy we got Newcastle away, uh, you know, out of the way before uh, that that sacking happened. But let's move on to you know some of the recaps from this weekend. We had big games all over the the weekend. Manchester United lost two nil at home to Manchester City, and it wasn't really even that close. Uh, seven minutes in, Cancelo played a cross in that Bai you know turned into his own net, and then just before halftime, the killer was a cross from Cancelo that wasn't dealt with again. And Bernardo tapped it in at the near post. So, well, uh, you put that very nicely, Alex. Because first of all, that was the most one-sided two-nil I've ever seen in my life. And second of all, I said something like that. No, you said that it wasn't. I said it wasn't that that nearly close. that close. No, it, it it was the most one-sided two-nil I've ever seen in my life. Like it could have been five, but De Gea was brilliant. Made yeah, that, that's that's what I mean. Five unbelievable saves in the first half. Like unbelievable saves. Uh, Ramsdale level saves, Mendy level saves, whatever you want to call it. Um, and 
The Bernardo Silva goal, which was at the end of that Cancelo cross, was at the end of a 25-pass move that every single player on the team touched. And it was like two minutes of possession for Manchester City where they then got it Bernardo Silva to tap it in at the end of that. So, master class for Manchester City and Manchester United just did not show up other than that one volley that Ronaldo had and then um, I think it was Greenwood or I don't know who fired over the, the, the rebound, but United created absolutely nothing outside of that and... You kind of knew it was going to happen too, like we said it before. We we thought United weren't really going to create much, and what yeah, could, went back what to could bed they, after halftime? What could they do or with during halftime? Yeah, what could they? Do? I mean that that first half was such a massacre that I mean it should have been five nil at halftime. Like if you're a United player and you're coming in at halftime two nil, you're probably just like, God, we suck, guys. Like we should be getting destroyed. Like let's not let it get to five nil. And they probably were happy with a nil-nil in the second half, so, which is pathetic for Manchester United at home. For me, this is this has written like Ole the same as Dean Smith. I think Ole has done a good job. I don't think you can like criticize what Ole's done up till this point, but I think he's taken the team as far as it can possibly come, which is like back-to-back Champions Leagues. He got to a Europa final, but he lost against Unai Emery, which for me. And Alex, I think you, you'd agree with this. If you were at a club like Chelsea and you lose a final like that to Villarreal, you, you would have been gone, you know? So I think it's a little bit, you know, he the fact that he's been given all this extra time and it's not really working out. And, you know, he got all these huge signings this summer. And I know they're going to keep Ole. And I know that, that, that a lot of the Manchester United fans are still like, holding on to Ole by a thread saying maybe he can still turn it around. It's it's the same thing with us and, and, and Frank. I don't think I ever would have been like, get rid of Frank. He won't turn it around. Like The, the United fans are just never going to turn on Ole like that. He delivered them their greatest ever or one of their greatest ever nights in club history. And, you know, it wasn't just that goal in the Champions League final that endeared him to them. He was there for, I think, a good eight years, scoring big goals, coming off the bench, like Chicharito, Javier Hernandez is would probably compare him to Solskjaer. He's probably a you know a poor man's Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. They played the same role. Solskjaer just did it way better and in way better teams. So that's the level of player we're talking about here. No, it's not Wayne Rooney or some other you know club legend like that, but it's still an absolute you know fan favorite that has had success. But the metric for success has changed at Manchester United since he arrived. We, we, went, we said this going into the season that he has succeeded so far with the goal of, you know, getting United sort of back on track in terms of getting into the Champions League every, every season and slowly improving their league position, which up till now he's done. The only way for him to improve on that was obviously to go and win the thing. So they gave him all the, mo- the money he wanted. He went out and got plenty of good players, had one of the best transfer windows in the league and maybe even in, in, in the world this summer. And they've really just uh, not been up to it. And it's not just these big games against Liverpool, Manchester City, where they've obviously fa- fallen short in, but it's the games earlier in the season that they really needed to win. The, the games like Southampton away and Everton at home, even just a few weeks ago and, and Villa at home that they lost. It's just not been it's been not been anywhere uh, near good enough. And uh, with the the squad they have, even with the midfield difficulties, uh, because there are midfield difficulties in that squad, they, they should be solidly 
in and around the same conversation as Chelsea, Manchester City, and Liverpool in terms of the players they've brought in and the overall talent in that squad. But they're they're not. I think they're down in eighth place right now. Yeah, I mean, how is it? They're in sixth, but how is it possible that sixth place? Okay, you know, uh, Arsenal and Wolves both started off, you know, zero and three. Manchester United had. I think three wins or two wins in a draw to start the season, or they had, they had three wins in a draw to start the season. They were near the top of the table, and see, like since then they've just—I mean, like you said—it just hasn't been good enough. The fact that they had around ten points after four games and they only have seventeen now, like that's just an absolutely dreadful run for Manchester United. They've won once in their last five games, you know, three losses, and we're not counting that because it's Tottenham, right? Three Pre-Conte losses, Tottenham. It's just I, 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 I don't know where to find the positives for Manchester United right now. I know that there's just a lot of players that aren't firing right now, like Sancho, like you know, Van de Beek's not even a factor. Pogba's in and out of the team. They're getting injuries. You know, Maguire seemingly hurt. Juan Bissaka forgot to defend. I don't know. I, like there's a lot of things right now that seem to be going wrong at Manchester United. And I just don't think Ole is going to be the man to pull it all around. So I think they lost a huge opportunity in not getting Antonio Conte. And I think that they're probably going to stick with Ole till the end of the season. And it's going to cost them the Champions League this season. So Right. They'll, they'll stick with him until it's mathematically impossible for them to get Champions League. At which point they'll fire him and have an interim manager or caretaker until the end of the season until they can conduct another managerial search. But they brought in Ronaldo for this season and next season with a huge emphasis on this season. What is he, like 37, 36 maybe? He's, it's, it's, not, it's not really a case of, ah, okay, I guess this season's gone. We should just... They can't afford to give up on the season. That's why everyone is thinking it's so crazy that they haven't fired Solskjaer yet and let Conte walk to Tottenham. So... This game certainly didn't help with that because they they didn't get anywhere close to Manchester City. It was people use this too often, but it really was men versus boys out there. It they were it was like City were taunting them for the second half by not scoring, but still just keeping the ball and not really being pressured at all. So one shot on target for Manchester United. Yeah, that that Ronaldo one was the only one. Uh, well, not United were not out, out, outdone, though. We're not going to talk about this one, but uh, do, do you just want to mention, since we did mention Conte, uh, Conte's first game ended in, in a nil-nil draw at Everton, where uh, Tottenham had zero shots on target. They had what maybe one or two decent chances, but the, the zero shots on target thing is, is pretty rough. Uh, but I guess Conte's focusing on the defense first. Uh, but there was disappointing results uh, all around uh, the, the sort of top four, top six teams this weekend. Chelsea had a 1-1 draw, a very disappointing 1-1 draw with Burnley uh, during the 11 a.m. slate on Saturday. Uh, We we got out to a deserved lead in the 33rd minute for Kai Havertz, but then in the 79th minute, Matej Vizra equalized for Burnley. A a very well-worked, I must say, very well-worked goal with like patient uh, build-up for Burnley. And despite all the chances Chelsea uh, created in that game, we just couldn't put it to bed. And it's... It's a, a an issue of many previous seasons for Chelsea, an issue that we signed Romelu Lukaku to fix. Uh, obviously, he was not available for this game. And I don't even think it, that would be a very viable excuse because we created more than enough chances to win this game, like 3 or 4-1. But uh, players like Ross Barkley and uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi even had a couple. 
And uh, Kai Havertz himself, despite scoring the goal, uh, he even had uh, one or two, you know, just bad execution in the final third. So it finally came back to haunt us after doing so well in all of these other seemingly easy games during this run from October to November that was sort of an easier part of our schedule. I can't be too disappointed uh, that the first truly disappointing result of the season has come in early November, though. So uh, hopefully with Lukaku and and Werner and uh, Kovacic and players like that coming back, we can uh, avoid hiccups like this. Hopefully it's just a hiccup. There isn't a lot to talk about in this game because, like you said, this, this was a great performance from Chelsea. It was kind of a freak draw any other day weirdly enough it was like one of the best performances we've had this season yeah when you go and watch the highlights there's like 11 or 12 minutes of highlights and it's literally 11 minutes of chelsea highlights and then like the one minute of the burnley goal that was the one chance they had pretty good chances too right there was like four or five good ones in there nick pope made some crazy saves especially really early on those first 10 minutes tells you should have just been up like three nil burnley couldn't handle you guys and yeah, Nick Pope played out of his mind, and I mean, it's a blueprint. This is the way that these that a lot of these, you know, relegation teams or teams that are near the the bottom of the table are playing against Chelsea. Is they they you know just get behind a really low block, and eventually they'll get a chance or two. It's been shown Chelsea will always give you a chance or two. Now whether Mendy lets it in, that's the that's what's now become the difference. But. Um, yeah, no, I, I think this was this was a kind of a freak of nature game and nothing really to be worried about if you're a Chelsea fan. If well, Lukaku plays this game, you easily because, win this. Well, yeah, absolutely. That's the one thing I'm really annoyed about, about that Lukaku injury, just the timing of it. It was in the, the first and that, I was about to say, that's the one thing too. we talked about, is like, if Lukaku was out for a significant amount of time, how would Chelsea do? This isn't a great look, obviously, but you did also win seven nil without him. So it's like right. We also beat like every right. other team exactly. we faced. So there's this no like you that. can't like you know pick one game and not the other and point at both of them because both of those but, were without what, Lukaku. What I was going to say about that that Lukaku injury is that go bef- going into when he got injured in the Malmo game, the home game, he had been on like a run of four or five games without scoring. I think it was like one of the longest uh, scoreless runs in his career. That's obviously extended with the injury, but the injury has happened during the easiest like like slate of the season in terms of like game to game matchups in the Premier League. And we had those two games with Malmo in the Champions League. He could have really gotten his confidence up if he was healthy for this run, gotten more integrated with the team because there has been some teething issues in terms of how we press as a team when Lukaku's in there. We could have figured those out during this, and that's. That's one thing that I think might come back to bite us now that the schedule is going to turn with this Leicester away game and then United right after that. So we'll see. But uh, hopefully we can just plug him back in and everything will be fine. Uh, Some other results uh, I'm going to mention. We already mentioned that Southampton win against Villa. We mentioned the Manchester City 2-0 win against Manchester United. Uh, Norwich getting their first win of the season, 2-1 against uh, Brentford. Crystal Palace had a very impressive 2-0 home win against Wolves with uh, Zaha and Conor Gallagher once again scoring. Uh, Brighton and Newcastle, we mentioned in the Eddie Howe discussion that there was a 1-1 draw there on Saturday afternoon. Sunday, we can give a quick uh, moment to your boys, Javier. Arsenal pulled off a 1-0 win against yeah, it Watford. Sh- it should have been the 3-0 that you predicted, Alex. We also had a great performance, missed a bunch of chances. Foster made a penalty You can thank Aubameyang for that. Aubameyang cleared, uh, cleared the ball off missed of their line. Missed a penalty, line. 
and scored an offside goal whenever he just left it, it would have been a, a very fine Odegaard goal. A good or great go- Odegaard goal, I might even say, because he dribbled like multiple people before shooting. But yeah, you, I mean, three points is three points. And you yeah, guys I'd haven't say, lost say, a Premier League game since that that Manchester City 5-0 in the third yeah. game. So Since we got our first team, that. Alex. Since we got our first, another clean sheet. Wofford created nothing. Makes me have a small amount of hope for the uh, after the international break. We won't talk about that now, but... That's when things will get serious with that Liverpool away game. Exactly. We'll, uh, we'll obviously be back to preview that one next week. I already mentioned that uh, Everton and Tottenham played to a 0-0 draw on uh, Sunday at 9 a.m. Leeds and Leicester played to a 1-1 draw of their own uh, during that same time slot. And then uh, what was inevitably the game of the weekend... West Ham had a 3-2 win at home against Liverpool to hand Liverpool their first loss of the season. There was a controversial Allison own goal in the fourth minute before Liverpool equalized from a beautiful Trent Alexander-Arnold free kick in the 41st minute. And then West Ham managed to pull away with a uh, Fornals goal and a Zuma goal in the second half before Divock Origi scored in the 83rd minute to make it nervy for the last 10 minutes. But that first Liverpool loss, we, we I don't were, think there's we really were any shame it, in Alex. it. We were saying, I don't think West there's no Ham. shame. I I predicted there's them no to shame. Liverpool to win it, and they let me down of sorts. But I can't really be surprised because West Ham have just been playing out of their socks the last like month at least. Declan Rice, man, again, he was he was just amazing again in this game, and he was playing against such high level opposition. You you really wanted to see how he would do against Fabinho and Henderson, and he just took over in that second half. You know, in the first half, Liverpool played well and probably should have been up more goals. I think it was more even in the first half. But in the second half, West Ham had that like a 15, 20 minute spell where they just absolutely dominated. And every set piece West Ham had, I mean, it was it was Liverpool who who are a very good team on set pieces. Even them had, you know, were having trouble with West Ham. I'm not looking forward to playing them at all. And it has to be said, though, Mane had this one chance in like the 90th minute. Where he, right, the chance to equalize. It, yeah. it was a difficult one, though. We've seen him score it, but it's it was still difficult. But yeah, like you said, this was definitely the the game of the season, and makes me scared of West Ham because you know they're I'm sure they're going to finish in either fourth or fifth. You know, maybe sixth, but like if they fall off, but they look like they're going to be in that in the in the top top six conversation for sure. So I don't want to make this about Arsenal. So focus this answer on West Ham. But would you would you be mad at me, or do you have a reason to be mad at me if I say that West Ham are still the biggest threat to Manchester United making top four? Yes, because I, like I thought about this the other day. I was like, do I actually think West Ham are a bigger threat than Arsenal? And when you look at their bench, and they do have like a couple of okay players like Kufal to bring on, you know, when Ben Johnson's playing, but. When they're bringing on like Noble or like they don't have that many like good wingers to bring on slash if Antonio were to go down, who we know he's injury prone, like he's going to go out. I mean, they do have guys like Vlasic and uh, Alex Kral, who they signed. They have some decent they have some decent backups, but like I think over a season when you Arsenal have players like Nicola Pepe. You know, like uh, Enketia, like you're yet to impress Gabriel Martinelli. I mean, he hasn't done anything for two years, but okay. Odegaard. Yeah, there you go. That's a good one. No, no, I see what you mean. 
and honestly, you, sh- you should lead. You probably should lead with the fact that you guys don't have Europe. That's what you should lead with yeah, in the argument. Of course. But I think I think West Ham will. They're doing well in their group stage of Europa League. But my guess is they'll probably lose in the first knockout, maybe the second knockout round of the Europa League, and then they'll just have Premier League for you know the rest of the second half of the season. So I don't think that's going to be that much of a factor in terms of their their, their qualification for top four and champions league it's really i mean it's the same question for everyone it's let's talk about them after christmas like show me where you are around you know middle of january into late january and we'll see it we'll talk again there but i think they've got they've got a pretty good chance it's uh they're definitely on really good form four straight wins and those four wins have been against uh, liverpool in the last game aston villa away 4-1 the game before uh, Tottenham at home 1-0 and Everton away. So those aren't, I mean, I know some of those teams aren't in the best form, but those are still hard to go to Villa Park. And it's still hard to go to Goodison Park and, and get wins. And they've done it with relative ease recently. So very impressive from them. Are, are you worried about Liverpool at all with that one? No. Because uh, the, the things that I predicted or the, the players coming back that I predicted, Matip in, in defense and uh, Fabinho at the base of midfield, those things happened and still didn't really help. They were still, they were kind of a mess on set pieces. Like you said, West Ham only had three set pieces in the whole game. They scored from two of them and hit the hit the bar, hit the crossbar with the, the, the third one, I think. So, I mean, that's one very specific uh, weakness uh, from Liverpool that you know, West Ham are specifically very, very good at exploiting. But I'm just, I'm, I'm a little uh, concerned that, you know, maybe... Maybe Liverpool slip up against a surging Arsenal team, and even if they drop points in that with a draw, all of a sudden they've only won. They they would have only won two of their last like six games in the Premier League, so that becomes an issue. And maybe what I'm saying is maybe we put a bit too much into those two five nil wins in a row, the one at Watford and then the one at Manchester United, which you know, were very impressive. But I think we need to kind of adjust our expectations for the future for teams when they have one or two games where they're absolutely lights out and destroying everyone because that's obviously no one's ever going to be able to keep that up so we'll see how Liverpool bounce back from that one I I mean top four is still like a a lock obviously but that's the kind of game that uh, Liverpool teams that win the league would fight back and and probably draw 3-3 and they just weren't quite able to do that so maybe an omen of things to come in the future who knows okay well let's wrap things up there javier thanks for jumping on uh, during the international break uh, good luck to peru and their world cup qualifiers it's almost you guys over have... for us alex Don't... yeah it's, I'm not really, it's probably over not really I think you guys have bolivia now. bolivia and brazil i think yeah exactly we're gonna lose to brazil again beat bolivia well good luck with that um yeah, we're, we're done. There's plenty of, uh, I believe there's U.S. Uh, men's national team World Cup qualifiers this weekend. Friday night, I think, is the Mexico away game, which is going to be huge, obviously, for uh, for qualifying for the men's national team. So you guys should uh, definitely check that one out. You can follow us on social media at ASMOS92 for my Twitter and Instagram, at Javi Arev9 for Javier's Twitter. 
and at GhostGoldPod for the podcast socials. If you're listening on an app that allows you to rate and review podcasts, we'd really appreciate it if you just went and gave us a rating and review right now. Those help new listeners find the pod, and we'd obviously love your help to uh, help grow this thing. So enjoy the World Cup qualifiers and uh, other international games going on this weekend. And until next time, see you.